You are listening to the Invitation Church podcast. To learn more about Invitation Church, visit us online at invitation605.com. You can also download our app on iTunes and Google Play by searching for Invitation 605. So I don't know what it says about a church when the pastor forgets to light the candle at Advent. We were were giggling about it up here. (laughs) You could have helped me out. (laughs) No, it's more fun just to watch What does it say about y'all that you let me? Golly. I just thought your landlord didn't let you have open flames. (laughs) No, that was a couple years ago. Okay. Can can we do the thing now or are you going to keep? Okay. You're going to start over? Yeah, no, that's Okay. okay. So, Matthew chapter 2, during Advent, uh, we are talking about the journey that the Magi take. And here's the account of it, the second chapter of the book of Matthew, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw the star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. And When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written, but you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him... Report to me so that I may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So when I was a teenager, I worked at Hy-Vee. And Hy-Vee trains you to respond to customers in a certain kind of way. Uh, We had to watch a video on how to put groceries inside of the bag it was called the Sacking Olympics. And so you would learn how and where you put bread and eggs and meat and all of that stuff. But another part of their training was getting us ready for the experience of customers coming to the store trying to find a certain kind of item. And everyone looking for a certain kind of item begins to do this. You're looking up at the signs above each aisle. And so we're trained when you see someone doing that, you're supposed to approach them and say, can I help you find something? And some of you like to shop online and not go to stores because you don't like to be asked that question. 
You would prefer to not be engaged with when you go to a store. You want to go and get what you came to get. You don't want to answer the questions from the 16-year-old, hey, can I help you find something? We're not just going to talk about Hy-Vee today. I also want to talk to you about Ace Hardware. So in Ace Hardware, there's a section of the store, and they have a bunch of these kinds of bolts, right? Different kinds of bolts, different kinds of sizes, and what you will see you will see people come to this area of the store and begin just rifling through the big container of bolts, trying to find the exact bolt you're looking for. And you'll probably experience some worker, let's call him Harold. And so Harold comes and he asks you, hey, can I help you find something? And how many of us know today that, you know, who is asking us that question changes the experience. I want you to consider today that what if it's not Harold who's asking you, can I help you find something? What if it's not a teenager, 125 pounds soaking wet with spiky hair, asking you, can I help you find something? What if it's Jesus? What if Jesus is asking today, what are you looking for? There's something that I can help you find. Like, what if it's rest? Like, what if what you're looking for today, what you're searching for today, the reason we're spending several weeks on the same story is because it has a lot of gifts, a lot of lessons for us. And something that we see in the scriptures is Jesus is offering people rest. He talks about it in terms of soul rest. So there's a big group of people and he comes to them and he sees them and has compassion on them and says, all of you who are tired and who are weary, you can come to me and I'll give you rest. Rest for your soul. What if beyond rest, uh, what if the way that we would answer that question from Jesus today is that we're searching, we're looking for some kind of answer. Like there's, a, there's an answer to a medical concern that's popped up in our family and we, man, it'd just be great to have an answer. Maybe something really hard and difficult and dark has unfolded and like, we want to understand. Like, where's God in this? Why did this particular thing unfold? Like, why was I having to walk through these days? Now, what if it's connection? Like, we're not looking for bolts. We're not looking for the milk that's on sale. Like, we're looking for connection. Like, we're looking for meaningful friendship, a place we could actually belong to. What if it's purpose? What if part of what it means to be human is that at times you walk around with this purposelessness? Like, why am I here? What am I doing? This is just like another Tuesday on planet Earth. One of the gifts that the Magi have for us, they have gifts for Jesus, but I believe they also have gifts for us. And one of the gifts that the Magi have for us 
is helping us think through how we would answer that question. Sometimes in church, we talk about Jesus as though he's not here. As though we're like kind of like talking behind his back. And so I just wonder today, if Jesus was sitting knee to knee with you, just sat down right next to you and just asked you with kindness in his eyes, what are you looking for? What are you searching after? What can I help you find? The story of the Magi help us answer part of that question. So we know that the Magi, they are traveling from Babylon to Bethlehem. And we talked about this last week. It's like this 900-mile journey. Like walking Sioux Falls to Dallas is how we talked about it. And they come and they present some gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. There's this guy named Gregory the Great. And like in the 5th century, he wrote about these three gifts that the Magi bring. So he talked about gold. And he talked about how this gold can be an illustration of wisdom. And then he talked about frankincense, which this can be like a a picture, an illustration of, of prayer. And then he talked about the last gift, myrrh. And he talked about it as like offering our very self, like offering our body to God. And he kind of used that to talk about these, these magi are showing like complete devotion of mind, of soul, and body to God. And we also need to talk about today, okay, when is this journey happening? Like when do the magi come and, and visit Jesus? And I'm not trying to ruin Christmas for anybody, okay? I just want the, the house of God to know the date that the Magi show up to Jesus changes nothing about Christmas. Okay. So we think that the Magi show up probably after the first birthday of Jesus and before his second birthday. We also know that it's likely that the Magi come at springtime, not on December 25th. And the reason for that, you're like, well, how do we know that? Why would they come at springtime? They would come at, they came at springtime. We know that because in Luke's account, what does Luke tell us? Luke tells us that there's shepherds in their field keeping watch over their flocks at night. Why would you need to keep watch over your flocks at night? That's an amazing question. The reason is because you have to protect the new baby lambs, which are born in the springtime from the wolves who want to eat them. So that's how we know that this is being embedded in the springtime. And the Magi come at some point between the first and the second birthday of Jesus, not on the 25th. Why does December 25th get used for Jesus' birthday then? Because there was a Roman holiday called Saturnalia, and it sounds like a gum disease, but it's not. We got lots of Saturnalia going on in there. And it's a Roman holiday to celebrate what? 
to celebrate the end of harvest. So what do you do when you're a farmer and harvest is finally done? You reintroduce yourself to your family. That's step one. And step two is you celebrate the end of that fall harvest. And that's what they did in the Roman world. That's what Saturnalia was all about. Celebrating the end. And how does that impact these new Christians in the Roman world? Well, it impacts the new Christians because the Romans are busy celebrating all of that. And so they have some freedom to gather together and to celebrate the birth of their Lord and Savior, Jesus. And so the Magi bring these gifts. And they find this baby. And they find a brand new mother. And they find Joseph. And they're all trying to get their mind around what has just happened. Sometimes as a pastor, one of the things I get to do is I get to visit a family who's just had a baby in the hospital. And I'll have to tell you, every time I walk into that hospital room, I see a little Mary and Joseph action going on. Bewilderment, packaged in joy, is how I would describe it. Everyone's trying to figure out what all has just happened. The baby's trying to figure that out. This is a lot different than what I've been doing. And mom and dad are trying to figure out what in the world we're supposed to do with this new baby. And the wise men find a poor family in a quiet neighborhood. Like there's nothing fancy about the surroundings. Like it's just a poor family in the quiet neighborhood. And they had followed this star that was leading them and guiding them. And then what's powerful is they bowed before the one who hung the stars. We hear about that in the Genesis account. That God creates, so he forms the world and he fills the world. And he's chosen to place, to hang these stars in the sky. And the Magi follow that star and then they bow before the one who hung the star. And one of the gifts of the Magi today is that they serve as a reminder that the Christian life is a marathon. The Christian life's a marathon. It is a journey. And we could also probably use more accurate language to describe it. We could probably also talk about how it's a triathlon. Marathon, you're kind of just doing one thing. You're running as far as your legs and heart will carry you. But a triathlon, it kind of takes a little more expertise. It takes running, it takes biking, it takes swimming. And it's not really even about where you find yourself in the current race. But it's about finishing well. And there's so much language in the scripture. Paul will say at the end of his life, I've fought the good fight. I've, I've finished the race. Notice he doesn't say like who he beat out or how long it took him, but that he completed it, that he finished the race. And I just think it's very possible that everyone in this room is going to encounter some kind of season in your life, some kind of moment that you are going to step into 
and you're just going to be ready to throw in the towel. Like you're just going to be ready to throw in the towel and be done. And the Magi, one of the gifts of Christmas time from the Magi is that it's a long journey, this life with God. And when we feel like we're ready to be done, it's good for us to remember that we could be in mile 37 of a 900-mile journey because the Magi were. Like it took them four months to travel from Babylon to Bethlehem. So the Magi serve as a reminder that the Christian life's a marathon. The Magi also serve as an encouragement to never stop seeking. To never stop living with curiosity about God. And there's a couple different ways that we can seek. We can seek the things that God gives. Like we can seek his forgiveness. We can seek his strength. We can seek his love, his joy, his help. Like we can seek all of the things that come from the hand of God. Or we can seek God himself. Because you can seek those things without actually wanting God himself. There's this story in the 15th chapter of Luke, and it's about a dad, and it's about two sons. And one of the sons comes to the father, they had a lot of money, and he says, hey, you know that like inheritance deal? I think I'm ready for that. Looked at my watch, feels like this is a good time for all this money that's coming to me. And he's saying more than I just want some money. Like he's kind of saying to him, like, hey, this relationship's not really that meaningful to me. I'm kind of in this deal for what I can get out of it. You're kind of dead to me anyway. So if we could just, like, if you could do the transfer from Wells Fargo and we could just get on with the deal, that might be a good thing. And if you've been in and around church enough, you kind of know how the story goes. Money spent on wild living, Scripture says. And that living empties the sun. And ultimately, you know, there's this picturesque moment at the end. And when the son is seen by the father, when he's a long way off, the father comes out and runs toward him and kisses him, puts a ring on his finger. They throw a big party because the father's convinced that this son of mine was dead, but now he is alive Again, that interaction, I need to tell you, is a lot more awkward than it sounds. In the ancient world, they would have worn clothes that would make running really difficult. And so it's very likely that this man has to kind of pick up his clothes and run that way. And I don't know if you've ever tried to run in like a dress kind of a deal before. Uh, It's not easy. And I think that's part of the picture here too, is that the extravagant, the abundant love It does not look neat. It does not look tidy. It's rooted in the very character of God. And I think today we are kind of faced with this question for all of us. Like, do we want to build a life in following God that's about what he can give us? Or do we want him himself?
lots of different ways that we can seek him. Another way that I can seek God as I want him to be, like not as he truly is. Uh, N.T. Wright uh, says this, I'm going to throw up that next slide. He says, the longer you look at Jesus, the more you will want to serve him in this world. That is, of course, if it's the real Jesus you're looking at. Plenty of people in the church and outside it had made up a Jesus for themselves and have found that this invented character makes few real demands on them. He makes them feel happy from time to time, but doesn't challenge them, doesn't suggest they get up and do something about the plight of the world, which is, of course, what the real Jesus had an uncomfortable habit of doing. It might be easy for us. The greatest temptation at Christmas might not be like, oh, one more gift. I'm just going to buy one more. The real temptation of Christmas is to embrace a search for God that really is our own picture for the God that we want to have not who he truly is. Almost every time I do a wedding, I share this amazing quote by this guy named Thomas Merton. And in this quote, it talks about how true, genuine, abiding love is rare and how many of us have bought into a love where we really want to love and serve our own image that is within that other person. And so if we could like change them, if we could mold them into who we would like them to be, then loving them is just a lot easier. And I share that quote, not just for the couple that's standing up there all nervous and sweaty, but for everyone who's present in that moment, that it's very possible to try to twist God to fit our image of who we would like him to be. And so at Christmas time, we're faced with a challenge. This challenge comes from the Magi, and it's just this question, like, why are we excited about the baby? Like this baby that's been born in Bethlehem, the city that's named after the house of bread. And yes, are we supposed to notice that in the Old Testament, God gives manna to his people, like a bread-like substance to fill them and to nourish them and to sustain them. Are we supposed to catch that the city that Jesus comes to is called the house of bread? Yes, we are supposed to catch that. It's a way that he fills and nourishes and prospers us. That's another sermon for another day. Stop trying to distract me. Why are we excited about the baby? Because we want what the baby has? Like, is that, this is the challenge of Christmas. Is that why we're excited about the baby? Because we want what the baby has? Or is it that we cannot imagine a world without the baby? In John chapter 6, there's a bunch of people who are turning away from Jesus Because he taught some hard things. He asked some hard questions. He pushed a little too hard against some of the people who were following him. And they turned away and they walked away. And Jesus turns to Peter and some others. And says, hey, are you interested in walking away too? Like, are you out on this deal? 
Do you want out? And Peter turns to him. And he answers him in a really simple, I think, genuine, heartfelt way. Like, where else would we go? Like, you alone have the word of life. Like, we've left everything else. We left our jobs and our families. You're talking about, like, do you want to leave too? We don't have anywhere else to go. The challenge of Christmas, why are we excited about the baby? Because of the things that the baby will bring? Or because we cannot imagine a world without him? Peter says, I have nothing without you. And then later in John chapter 15, Jesus will say, you can do nothing without me. And often at Christmas time, we label Herod as, King Herod as the monster of Christmas. He's the monster in the Christmas story who wants the power, who wants the control. And if we will pause long enough to more deeply reflect on our lives and our posture, if we would, I don't know, check like the rearview mirror, which is a good idea, especially when you're driving in the snow, we forget how to drive in the snow, so it's just good to get going in that. We will find a little Herod in us a desire to stay in power, fearful of releasing the crown on our head, seated on a throne of the illusion of our control. And no, at Christmas time, I'm not calling you all monsters. I'm inviting all of us to do more deep reflection about the crown that we wear and the throne that we sit on. Romans chapter 7, Paul writes this. I'm going to invite the band up as we close this morning. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. So here's what Paul's saying, like, there's this, there's this way that has been given to me, and I reject that way. Like, I reject the way of God, and I take up the way of the world. And then he finishes this by saying, what a wretched man I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? And it's like a giant mic drop of Romans chapter 7. Like, here's my situation, the things I want to do, I do not do. Like, who's going to rescue me out of this? And, and Christmas has an answer for, like, who's going to rescue me from this body of death? The baby's going to rescue you. The baby is. That's why the baby's here. Because the baby has some stuff to say. The baby has a way of life to offer. The baby has forgiveness. The baby has grace. The baby has power. The baby has purpose. The baby has a mission to place on you. And the baby's going to rescue you. Not all at once. 
Not in the blink of an eye. Not in snapping your finger. But the baby's our rescuer. Because notice at the very end of this narrative, verse 12. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So what's the baby going to rescue us from? The baby's going to rescue us from having to walk the route of Herod. There are two ways in planet Earth. There is the way of Jesus, and there is the way of Herod. And the challenge of Christmas is, what are we going to do with this baby? This baby holds in its hand rescuing love. And rescuing belonging, rescuing forgiveness, rescuing grace. And the Magi bring these gifts to the baby as an expression of the devotion that is possible for all of us. And I know that Advent places this, us in this unique time where it's like, you know what, I'm not really sure I'm feeling rescued right now. Like I'm feeling beaten down. And the Magi remind us that the Christian life in our following of Jesus, it's a long journey. And you might be in mile 37 of a 900-mile journey, and I just need to remind the church today, it's not like you're walking 900 miles by yourself. You are a part of a community of people who are also walking that journey, and that's what's powerful about the church. The church, at its very best, is a place where a group of people say together, we are in the process of rescue from this baby, by this baby, and we are walking the way of Jesus together, and we have rejected the route of Herod because there's always another route. There's always another way. And the Magi, I believe, want to call us to take up that route together as we wait for the return of Jesus. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you today for the good news of the gospel in a time of darkness and pain and uncertainty. God, we thank you for how the Magi call to us and encourage us with great perseverance to walk the road that you have placed in front of us. And God, we thank you for this baby. We thank you for his life. We thank you for his teaching. We thank you for his way. We thank you for his disruption of the world, his redeeming power. And God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see the way that this baby is working within us. I pray that you would call us to take seriously this baby's way on planet Earth, to take seriously this baby's words. And to not seek 
God as we would like him to be, but God for who he truly is. God, thank you for this church and for the opportunity that we have today to gather around these songs and these words and to gather around the mission that has been placed upon us to be people who point to this star in the sky, who point to this baby in a manger, who point to this man hanging on a cross and, to the, and point to the one who has promised to return and to renew and repair and restore and to welcome us into the kingdom that he has made. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? We're going to sing one more song together today. Thank you so much for joining us on the Invitation Church podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message that you just heard and receive every part of it. Every promise from God, every declaration of his great love for you, every word of hope, every reminder that you have been made for more. Allow what you've heard to take root in your soul to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. I also want to encourage you to be part of what we are doing here at Invitation as we invite people to live the way of Jesus. Go to the app and become a regular giver, an investor in the story that God is writing in this place. Also, if you found the message meaningful, we'd love to have you share it with someone else as you partner with us in carrying the message beyond the walls of the church. I want to thank you for being here with us. Grace and peace.